how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Colin, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to be giving advice for creators that want to start a channel in college. We're going to answer the question, will creators ever start a union or should they? And we're going to talk about Instagram copying Be Real. And before we get into the show, I just want to say we're almost at a million subscribers, Colin. That's pretty wild. I just want to thank everybody out there who's listening, who watches the channel, who's been supporting us. It's a big milestone for us. We have some uh, big things planned for the million subscriber uh, party. I mean, let's just tell them. We're yeah. going to do a live stream on we're, the channel. We're planning on doing a live stream on the channel. So if you're not subscribed yet to the channel, subscribe so you can help us uh, kind of push push that ball forward a little bit. And also just get ready to tune into a live stream. Some exciting things coming up on the channel. If you haven't checked out our interview with Cody Co. and Noel Miller yet, check it out. If you've already checked it out, go to the YouTube channel and give it a like. That would be great. Maybe even a comment. Just drop some engagement there. All right, let's get into the show. It's too bad that this is just a audio experience at the moment because one of the most upvoted things on Reddit this week, Colin, was let's see the Colin middle part. Samir, that was last week. This is this week, and I no longer even have a middle part. Yeah, now you're doing a more, people can't see it, but it's it, almost a Justin Bieber circa 2012. Okay. I, would, I, I saw you, we were on a Zoom call. I would call. have just referred to it as, you know, Colin circa two weeks ago. But no, it's different. It's longer. You're going all the way back to Biebs. Yeah, yeah because you, we were on a Zoom call and you did the hair flip thing. And that was, the, that was a moment where I was like, mm. something's different again I, with Colin. I wish I didn't do the hair flip thing. I regret it. But it's a habit that has come with me since I was in eighth grade mm. and I had Bieber, I had a Bieber cut. Sure. And I did it all the time because it was the cool thing to do. Of course. You did it. We all did it, Samir. Don't we act like it. you didn't do it. I had a flippy look, like my hair covered my eyes and then it flipped up. It was a very, I was a, it was a dark time in my life. So Listen, all right, now <laughs> I'll say, let's end this and then <laughs> yeah, get into the episode. Yeah. I will take a photo of the middle part just for the Reddit and I will post it. In the Reddit? In Reddit. Oh my God. When? You'll have to join the Reddit. Oh my God. Join Stay the Reddit. Tuned. Join the Reddit to, to see that. That's exciting for all of us. Um, all right. Speaking of how you copied Justin Bieber with the haircut, can we just quickly talk about Instagram copying Be Real? Just quickly before we get into your questions. Where does Instagram get off at this point, man? On copying. On copying yeah, on everything copying everyone. all yeah. the time. That's, that's where. It's amazing that they're trying to like navigate this world of what's hot and just being like, oh, that feature? Okay, all right, let's, let's do it. What did they call theirs? It's, it's well, called it's like Duels. Well, it, Duels is one of them, and then they also have added a new thing that they're going to announce soon that's literally like a, you and a friend can have a short-term window where you both need to post to see each other's content. Yeah. It's Be Real. So I don't know. I, I just think Instagram is struggling so much right now to find their footing. You know, it was a really interesting thing to find out this week was that two of our editors, Chris and Tyga, don't even have Instagram. They don't even have it. But they are active on Be Real. How active are you on Instagram? I'm an active consumer, but I haven't posted in a year and a half. 
Yeah, I noticed that. And by active consumer, I would say I check it out in the morning and I check it out in the afternoon. So not even that active. It feels to me every time I'm on it, like I'm really wasting my time. Yes. Yeah. That's like, I, I can like feel it. I just feel like it hasn't evolved too. I'm, mm. I'm tired of the photos that I'm seeing at this point and I'm tired of the reels that I'm watching. Like nothing to me feels new or interesting. Whereas on TikTok, it has this ability to still move in unison. The entire app mm. seems like it's moving in one direction. Where That's interesting. In any given week, there is a thing that everyone is talking about or yeah. there is a trend that yeah. is currently the topic of conversation. But Instagram doesn't have that. It feels like it's just grasping for what it should mm-hmm. be. And that's why it's adding every single feature. I think there's two big lessons to pull from this. One is simplicity. Like I think Be Real is winning right now because of its simplicity. And I even think when you mentioned TikTok, like the For You page is so simple. And I think simplicity wins. And the other thing is I think having a strong point of view Meaning like this is this is what we believe to be a good experience. And Instagram doesn't feel like they have a point of view anymore. It feels like they're just looking at what's working and trying that. And I actually think that's a really important lesson as a creator when you're thinking about what type of content you want to make. Keeping things simple and having a strong point of view, those are two things that I think are key ingredients to success. If you look like you're chasing trends, I think the audience can feel that, right? They're like, oh, you're just trying to do the thing that works. Like you don't have a strong point of view in your content. I think also when you look at simplicity, we've been having conversations about Patreon in our office and looking at Patreons that really work, that, that have the highest number of patrons. Tim Dillon is a comedian. Great example. He has 40,000 plus patrons. He's doing over $220,000 a month on Patreon. He has two tiers One tier that's $5 where you get an extra episode of the podcast, a bonus episode once a week. The next tier is $20 and you can submit a topic for him to riff on. The end. That's it. Simple. I mean, our episode with Cody Ko and Noel Miller came out today and when they launched their Tiny Me King podcast, the only perk was that you get to listen to the episode a week in advance. Yeah. It was windowed. Yeah. It was windowed a week in advance. That was the only thing. Mm -hmm. So you get to support them and you get the episode a week early. And that, I mean, at one point, I think they were doing eighty dollars to $90,000 a month. They still have 12,000 patrons, even though they've already launched another membership website. Yeah. So it is pretty amazing. I do think now the last, the closing bit on this, which leads us into this conversation about the episode we released today, you know, it's an, it, it, we got, we got delayed in our process. We didn't release on our normal Monday. I'm sure all of you listening are like, yeah, we know <laughs> we, <laughs> we noticed, um, and, you know, a couple things led and it opened at a 10 out of 10, which if you're unfamiliar with YouTube is the worst possible thing that can ever happen to you as a YouTube creator is seeing a 10 out of 10. We actually talk yeah. about getting a 10 out of 10 in the, in the episode. episode with Cody yeah. and Noel, and they recommend that uh, maybe YouTube should just add a notification that says, maybe you should look for a new job. Yeah, yeah, or like a resume builder. A resume yeah, builder. a resume builder. Yeah, because it just really means funny. that, yeah. you know, you have now put out your worst video of the last 10, yeah, yeah, which... Yeah, yeah. You know, Which, I think for I us, look, 10 true. videos for us. Worst video out of your last 10 is not true. Your worst performing video is true. And there's so many sure. different things that go into your your worst performing video. Because in my opinion, I love this episode. Like I think yeah. it's been a dream to have Cody Coe and Noel Miller on the show. There's a difference between performance yeah. and, and quality know. of content. Yeah. Now it's climbing, you know, it'll climb the charts over time. It's a long episode. It'll find its, its audience. But I do think the experience 
of having a 10 out of 10 is so sharp. Like it's like a sharp knife digging into your stomach and twisting. And you think you're learning and you're getting better and you are, but it's hard to believe that when you get a 10 out of 10 and it's telling you that you've had your worst performance of your last 10 videos, which for us, 10 videos goes back seven months, maybe or six months. No, four months max. I don't think so. Didn't you say that ZHC, we put that out. That was six videos ago. Yeah. Which was two and a half months ago. Two and a half months ago. Okay. Yeah, so that yeah, was yeah. a gross over-exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. That would suggest, us, like, Colin, that we've only put out 10 videos. It's the eighth month of the year, so man. What even is time? We, we, in the beginning of the year, we're putting out four videos a month. Who am I to say how much time has <laughs> passed? Okay. But it does hurt, right? When yeah. you look back at, at something that feels like, okay, I feel like I've been learning over the last three months, but clearly yeah. I just performed worse than anything I've done in the last three to four sure. months. I've, I, you know, I don't have YouTube studio on my phone. I actually am not logged in on my computer either. I find out through our Slack channel, like you messaging this morning is how I found out. Yeah. And it's because I think there's so many factors that are out of our control and we have to just focus on the ones that are in our control, you know, and now, you know, we're going to fix a few things and it'll climb up and it'll be a good episode. And we do need to, you know, address a couple things. So the click through rate was really low in the beginning, but I, I think the 10 out of 10, as it happens more and more and more to me it's like being a lacrosse or soccer goalie it's like when you get scored on you have to have a short memory you can't you can't dwell on that goal that was just scored on you you have to actually just set back up and try and save the next one so i think the reality is like no matter what all the creators who are listening right now maybe we should like have a forum where you can share your 10 out of 10 stories you know or like when you have one there's a place to go for support where you can turn to someone and be like, it happened today. And someone can like lift you up, you know, you can go get a haircut, get a massage. Like I'm talking about like a physical place where people can talk to you and rehab you out of your, Feels cre- like a little, your cre- much, but you think that's a little much. How did you little... feel this morning? If you, I'm telling you, if you went to a place this morning, I, walked into I, a spa where they were there to, to, to service you because of a 10 out of 10, I would say, do I really need all of this? <laughs> And then see, that's the thing. That's what the spa is there for. Because then you'd look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I'm taking this too seriously. I'm going to leave the I'm spa. I'm going to leave the spa. I'm not going to get the massage because that would be crazy. Yeah. I would probably get the massage. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the first question, huh? <laughs> All right. This one comes from the Reddit. You know what? Let's start with this one. I'm loving, by the way, I just want to say this, the video question submissions. I think it's so cool to see your guys' faces when you submit a video on, on Reddit. I think that's super cool. So this one... Uh, is from a man in a red bandana who is seemingly running while he is asking this question. Hey, Colin and Samir, Sam here. New fan, totally obsessed with what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for speaking intelligently about a subject that very few people speak about intelligently, that being the digital creator economy. I have a question for you. The digital creator economy is so new, it's so fresh, it's the Wild West out here. There are no standards, no rules for how these businesses and creators run their teams uh, because everything is so fresh and new. This is, of course, in stark contrast to the traditional film and television industry industry where we have decades of union rules and pay standards and stuff. I'm curious as to whether you think the creator economy is going to migrate to that model of unionization and pay standards and titles and credits for everybody, or if it's just going to remain the wild west, like it's been for the last 15 years. Okay. This is a great question. He mentions like the comparison to traditional media. And the first thing that comes to mind here is we should address the stark 
contrast be, be, between how things work in digital and how things work in traditional. When you're thinking about unions in traditional media, the money, where the money's coming from, who's hiring these people are studios. In the digital world, who's hiring these people are the talent. It's like such a different world, right? Of mm -hmm. who's who's paying for what. And I think when a studio, which is like, you know, a corporation, a massive company of people who are not creative are hiring people, they, I think, had a culture of undervaluing creativity. And I think when you're looking at creator companies right now, because you and I, for example, started out holding cameras, editing, if we're to hire someone who's going to hold a camera or edit, we have a different perspective on that workforce. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot of nuance to this question because the workforce and how they are working is actually a different context than in traditional media. Yeah, I think it's going to vary, obviously, because you know, the size and scope of the operation for each creator is so different. You mm -hmm. know, it can be, there are a lot of creators who just bring on an editor to hire, you know, to come help them part-time. Much more difficult for them to adhere to some sort of group standard, potentially, than it would be for, let's say, Rhett and Link and Mythical. If, oh, if you're a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing of an episode we have coming up. If you're getting to the point where you look and operate like a BuzzFeed, a more traditional media company, then... Of course, there are going to be certain uniform standards because you operate like mm -hmm. a company that has 125, you know, potentially yeah, yeah, a lot more employees. Sure. And Rhett and Link, which you'll see in our content that we've made with them and the interview that we have coming out with them next week, what you're going to you're here and see is like they do look and feel more like a traditional company. They now are, you know, a, a corporation that's hiring people. But I think in like this, the, the boutique mom and pop creator company, meaning the Colin and Samir, the Yes Theories, the Airax, the, the companies that are like hiring folks and, and surrounding talent, I think is different than when you're building a, a media company and looking more like a traditional engine. So I think those companies, like even TMG Studios, Cody and Noel's company, Rhett and Link's company, Mythical, I think they probably are hiring some union people. I mean, when Michelle Carey came in here, she talked about how she follows pretty close to union yeah. standards, takes certain breaks after right. a number of hours for lunch. Like I'm sure Jimmy too, Mr. Beast, I'm sure that that operates in that way as well. And I think it depends on, again, like if the talent is paying you to support the talent or if you're working at a broader company. But I think there's another side to this, which is the relationship between creators and the brands that they work yes, with. Yes, agreed. protecting creators when they go into certain types of relationships with brands, making sure that, you know, there's pay equity. And, you know, that is something that I think creators, from what we've heard in the past, you know, we spoke to a bunch of TikTok creators, they sort of banded together, created their own group mm -hmm. to understand the rates that were out there in the marketplace, to be really transparent with each other and to sort of hold firm when it comes to, you know, what rates they should accept. Uh, and we've heard that from all types of creators where they, you know, often band together and push brands to sort of hit certain standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, Rhett and Link talk about it in our interview um, that you'll hear again next week. They talk about um, a moment in time where they agree with a bunch of other creators on the minimum rate that they'll accept, which was $10,000. And they said, let's all agree to not take a deal under $10,000. Now, the world of creators was so small back then that it was possible. I think today that would be much harder to achieve to say, hey, Let's all band together, all of us, thousands and thousands of creators doing brand deals and not take anything under $5,000. Like, 
that might be hard, but I, I do think that creators are talking a lot more about the rates and pay transparency supports that. So we might see a, a creator union um, or we might see creators join the unions that exist now. Liza Koshy, for example, right? Is in mm-hmm. traditional media. She's definitely in like SAG-AFTRA. Af- AFTRA? AFTRA. Houston Astros? AFTRA. SAG-AFTRA. AFTRA. What's Tony Hawk's brother's name? Michael. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for um, the question. That came from Sam Donald Bowers. And the red bandana looks fantastic, man. Again, I love seeing these video questions. Also getting kind of a Conan O'Brien vibe here. Yeah? Yep. Okay. <laughs> all right, Sam. You decide if you like that from Colin or not. Uh, yeah. All right. This question comes from Step Too Cool. Step Too Cool. Nice. <laughs> what? what? If, I don't know. I just it felt like a breakdancing type of vibe, like yeah. a like a show that's about breakdancing. Isn't wasn't there a movie about Welcome break? Welcome to Step Too Cool, the show where we step and it's cool. What's the movie about breakdancing? Um Step Up. Step Up. Great film. Exactly. Um, all right. What if Colin and Samir was a newsroom and had journalists covering the creator economy news that CNS couldn't get to? Heard this post, which is linked. I don't know what that's linked to. Read out loud on the latest podcast episode and had a random thought. What if we were journalists that got to explore and cover the untold stories, which Colin and Samir don't have the capacity to cover? Okay. What if there were journalists? But also, what if you all were? Um, That would be cool. I think uh, this is a great idea. Uh, I love this concept. I would say that, you know, that this is a lot of why we launched our newsletter, The Published Press. Um, We cover three stories every issue, um, except for our Sunday send, which is like one long piece. Uh, but we're, we're covering, you know, six to seven stories every week about what's going on in the creator world. And that allows us to expand our lens. And, you know, additionally, when we think about, you know, what's happening in this Reddit, what could potentially happen in a Patreon, there is a world where we really do envision a newsroom because there's so many stories that we can't get to or that we are just not even going to know about. The internet has so many corners. What if we take it a step further and we eventually turn into a podcast network and we have a gaming podcast Mm. with two different hosts or one different host, right? To go down that vertical. And we have someone who focuses on crypto, right? So that we make sure we're covering all these different elements. And listen, man, last time I focused on crypto, you got hurt. I got hurt. Yeah. You're down bad. I got hurt bad. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think even for me, when I when I read our newsletter and the topics that get submitted, I'm like, whoa, I didn't know this was happening. And that's one of the coolest experiences is to get to be a consumer of that. So mm-hmm. I would love to do that in more verticals and have more people who are educated in those verticals be able to submit. All right, this question is from Illumination Project. Uh, it's titled Business Model. So this has to do with our episode with Reed. It says, I'm so interested and my brain is spinning, but I would love Colin and Samir's thoughts on this and all those in this community. How might the business model discussed in the latest episode on YouTube apply to an indie musician? Normally, we don't do sponsorships, but it could work. Or should musicians just lean into YouTube as a personality brand? Current industry standard in music is touring, merch, streaming, and placements. You could see how it might seem unviable for people without a massive fan base to build a business. Curious to hear everyone's thoughts. So what this is in reference to is Reed Duxer on our podcast talked about the typical business model for a creator and how it how it goes in progression. First, the creator typically monetizes through the platform on YouTube. That would be AdSense. So just the money that the platform gives you then does brand deals and sponsorships. 
and then potentially apparel, merchandise, content syndication, launching a consumer goods brand, a paywall service, and memberships. Now, in a musician's context, Cody and Noel talk about this too in our episode, that the music industry is extremely hard to make money because not only are you dealing with this standard of like touring is the number one way to make money, but you're also, if you get a record label, you're given a lump sum of money that you have to pay back to the label before you can make any money. There's a a lot of uphill battles when it comes to music, but I would say that as a artist today, leaning into the creator business model is, is a great way to stay independent. It's also probably just the wave of the future because of the fact that the record label industry is sort of broken in a way. I mean, if you look at here in the post, it says, you know, the traditional industry standard order is touring merch, then streaming and placements. Today, you can't even necessarily tour unless you have a built-in audience, which you're mm-hmm. going to be building on social. Like it's really not the the world of maybe 30, 40 years ago where you can just go small venue to small venue playing yeah. shows and growing a fan base. Totally. I it's, mean, it's not really like a slow growth world as much anymore. So much of it is like first. audience first building on social platforms. And I think that does require that artists sort of keep up a certain amount of output outside of just their full length songs and albums. Yeah, totally. I think when you look at music, I think we have to click into Ty Verdes as a great example, who built his audience on TikTok really before he even put out a song, he was singing in his car and then started putting out yeah, music. Or Charlie Puth, who, you know, built one of his songs, songs using like, TikTok. Okay, I was about to say, Charlie Puth was an artist before TikTok. No, I know, but okay, like, if it. you look yeah. at artists today, yes, yes, right, like they're, they're building, he built an entire song and really like an EP first on TikTok, sharing little bits and pieces here and there. Olivia Rodrigo was quoted in a video from the New York Times talking about how, you know, during her songwriting process for driver's license, Mm -hmm. she made sure that the song could be sampled on TikTok. Like she included certain moments that she knew people would want to talk about. Yeah, everybody's a content creator. And that might be upsetting to some people to hear that and be like, wait, my music's not content. My music is music. But to start, like to play the game of attention, to play the game of audience development, you do have to lean into being a creator. So I would say following the model, even looking at Cody and Noel, who did sign a record deal in one of their music videos, they did a brand integration with SeatGeek. Yeah. And that's like bringing new business to the music industry of saying like, oh, but if you're a creator, then you can do brand deals. And we are starting to see not necessarily brand deals, but I guess you'd call them more of placements in a lot of popular musicians' videos. There's mm-hmm. always, you know, beats by Dre, right? Or like there's alcohol brands yeah. in music videos. There's all types of things. Also, I just want to give a shout out to a musician. I think his name is Jake. It's spelled J-V-K-E. Now I'm a fan of this artist and he DM'd us saying he was a fan of the show. For me, a musician reaching out and saying they're a fan of the show is like the coolest possible thing. Cause I think when you look at the landscape of creators, I think musicians are on the cooler end of content creation right now. But Jake's a guy who grew on TikTok and released a song that like really went viral on TikTok that I heard first on my TikTok for you page and then became, you know, aware of him, which I'm, I'm going to play the beginning of the song, but it's fantastic. I didn't know we were in for a live performance yeah, here. Yeah, here we go. Feel like song. 
Okay. How many streams Just is this? Just to paint the picture there while that music was playing, uh, imagine Samir at the front row yeah. of a concert, hands yeah, in the yeah, air, yeah. really just going all out. Yeah, I think, listen, Jake, we were DMing and you said you're a fan and I responded saying, I'm a big fan of yours. And I wasn't just like saying that, like if you were in this room watching me listen to your song, you would be like, oh yeah, I guess that guy is a fan. Maybe so much so that you would not want to DM me again, but appreciate the DM. Oh, so that's how that guy dances. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. I don't want him in front Quick guessing game, Colin, because it's your favorite. How many streams does that song have? <laughs> How many streams does it have? Uh, 112. Nope. 3.4 million. 3.4 million? Yeah. That's your guess. 12 million. 12 million? I'll keep going some Yeah, yeah. 20 million. Okay, yeah. You want me to hit you? 40 yeah. million. No, this is when the guessing game's fun. 188 million streams wow. on Spotify. 188 million streams. Now, what's the secret there outside of the music being great? Does Jake TikTok. have- Yeah, TikTok. Yeah. TikTok, man. That's what I'm saying. Like- and, and it's not to say that everyone can do it on TikTok, but, you know, when you're bringing us through the process, when you are leaning into being a creator, back to the beginning of the show when we talked about simplicity and point of view as a brand or as a creator, your opportunity is here now. It's not just touring. Actually, the way you need to, you need to tour the algorithms, man. You know what I'm saying? You got to tour the algorithms the first. The tour, the algorithm tour. Yeah. The algorithm, the algorithms. Yeah. Algorithms, yep. Yeah, okay. okay, well, the great thing about TikTok for a musician, or really for anyone, is that, you know, similar to in business, when you want to put out a minimum viable product, you want yeah. to put something out, and then you make adjustments as it's already, you know, out to the public, you get to do that on TikTok. You can put out 15 seconds of a song that you're working on and see, does this song resonate with the small batch of people that TikTok's going to put that song in front of. Yeah. Right. So you can continue to build and build over time. Ty Veritas again talked to us about how he made sure the opening line of all of his songs was memorable. Mm, yeah. He said, you know, Justin Bieber can say, I love you so much. I love much. you so much. Yeah. And that's the opening line, but he's Justin Bieber. Mm -hmm. He has to say much more interesting, nuanced things that are really an act one of a story, which is. I thought you were going to say the line, but you're not. Well, what's the line? I'm a. You're a player. You're a player, aren't you? I'm sure you've got... Stop it. Don't okay. do this. Don't sorry, do this. Not now. Yep. Yeah. Right. Everyone just go listen to Maybe, Ty Veritas. Yeah, Don't listen to Colin trying to yeah. do Ty Veritas. All right. Question from J5T. He says, how does one get past the fear of posting content on YouTube while at college? I understand there are a lot of content creators out there who are still in college, but how do they get past that initial hurdle? Also, is iMovie good enough to start with on YouTube as an editing software? I'd love to hear about others' experiences when starting a YouTube or even starting one while at college and university. We were fresh out of college when we started YouTube. Like I was months, maybe a month or two out of college when I started YouTube and I wasn't on camera at first. Then when you came, it was probably six months after college that you and I were on camera together. There was also no stigma around putting yourself online, really, at that time. I mean, maybe I, being a YouTuber, but I, for me personally, in my circle of friends, being a YouTuber was not even a known sort yeah, of thing. that's true. So I didn't really have any problems. Like, I was not embarrassed to try yeah, things so because new. I didn't assume that that's true. All my friends were watching. I do think now it, it's, it's, or, or thinking that he's trying to be famous yes, or something. I think like it's that. such a viable career now that it's almost more uncomfortable because when you start trying, then you're like, 
your friends might look at you and be like, oh, you're trying that thing. Yeah. It's like a public thing that you have to be bad at first and then get good at. But you have to act sometimes like you're good at like it. Like you're doing or, the yeah. same thing as the people who are good at it yeah. and get paid. So it's this awkward middle ground. It's super awkward to, to like, I think the thing that people don't really notice is that entrepreneurship, you know, oftentimes happens behind closed doors and a lot of the failures aren't public. When we win or we fail, it is still public to this date. And when you're first starting out dealing with low viewership, dealing with the discomfort of friends watching your content and thinking it's lame. It, it, it's, it is hard. Like that's an emotionally challenging thing to deal with. I bet you there's other people in your college who are into YouTube or find a community online of creators who can, you know, band together, or you're going to have to muscle through it a little bit if you really want to do it. Yeah. And choose a forgiving audience and a forgiving audience is most likely a community that you're already a part of. Sure. For us, when we started making videos, it was all about lacrosse and we were lacrosse players. So it was easier to relate to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a lot about our buddy, Jack Coyne, like when he was working for Casey Neistat and then he transitioned out and started his own YouTube channel. He actually first started making videos about the New York Knicks Yeah, because he's a Knicks fan. Mm hmm. And learned a lot of skills through that and eventually transitioned to yeah. more lifestyle vlogs. That's a good, that's good tangible advice. Like pick a topic that is niche enough that you, your audience will like, there's an audience for it. that They'll watch it and that it will allow you to kind of learn and cut your teeth. Cause the thing that you have to do to get over the fear is just do it Nike over and over and over again. Like you just have to keep doing it when it comes to iMovie people have built and are still building careers on iMovie. So is that a good enough editing software? Without question. Editing does not have to be complex. No. As long as the software lets you move clips around. Yeah. You are editing. I mean, TikTok is a fine enough editing software to make a career. So you really, it's, it's more about getting the reps of doing it, picking the right topic, keeping it simple and learning about storytelling. That's, that's what I would encourage rather than the editing software. Should we do one more? Let's do one more. All right. We'll do one. Let's do one more. Let's do one. Okay. But I'll do one on the way to that one. Uh, there was a question about analytics, about what we look at. I just want to just reiterate, you know, we, we do look at. Okay. You know what's a gripe of mine? Sorry. I just need to butt yeah. in here with a gripe. If you say you're going to do one more, you do one more. I'm doing one on the way to the other. That's not, that's not how it works. It's a two for one special. You say you got one more. But I'm not even you like. you do one more. You can't do one on the way to one more. But here's the thing. I'm just reading Oh, sorry. I'm not, outrageous. Re I'm not reading the question. I'm just saying what I th thought I saw in the question and just talking about it. There's no rules for you then. How can I, how can you know I, tr what how has can no I trust rules? the words that come yeah, out of your I'll, mouth? You know what has no rules? I'll give you my gripe okay. this week. Spikeball. Spikeball has no yeah, rules. It's a lawless, it's a lawless environment. Yeah. Everyone's running around in a mm -hmm. circle, hitting a ball yeah. and it doesn't make any sense. People are diving over the thing, the, yeah. the round thing. The guys who invented Spikeball are fooling everyone. Who we know. Who, who we yeah. actually know who we and actually made a video know with, but they video are, with I will put this on record. Five years ago. They have fooled the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they really have. And they've fooled people in thinking that it's a simple game. They're like, oh, come on. It's just like volleyball. It is nothing like yeah. volleyball. Volleyball, you have to get a ball over a net. This, you, you hit I'm the- I'm so heated right yeah, now I'm about heated. spike yeah. ball. So the analytics that we okay, look yeah. at, mm -hmm. Colin, are typically AVD and CTR. Okay. Um, that's something that we do look at quite a bit. Like our episode with Cody and Noel, I think has one of the highest average view durations that I've seen on our channel. It's pushing 20 minutes of average view duration, which is really good. But the CTR is really low. It's at 5%. So 
the action that we're going to take on that from an analytics perspective is trying to redo the thumbnail to see if we can increase that CTR, the click-through rate. So meaning people are looking at the thumbnail, but they're not clicking on it. So it, we want to be closer to 10% on a click-through rate. And if we can be in an AVD that's 10 minutes plus, we're in a really good good zone. So that was not the last one? No. Okay. That was I told just you that was the one on the way to the last one. Yeah. You know when you say like, I'm coming over, but I got to make a stop first. That's what that was. Uh, like, I got to get gas real quick. You know what I mean? No, you don't, you don't no I don't know what you mean. What, you mean. what do you mean? Yeah, you I'm going to do one more as like a let very me tell definitive you, statement. Uh, and then let me you, tell just, you, you just the reverse way that, the statement. The way that you were on the way to the office today and you were a little late, but you came in with a coffee, which means you made it. You made a pit stop on the way. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So now this is personal. No rules. Didn't offer a coffee to me. I'm just going to say big gripe. I assumed you already had a coffee. You know what happens when you assume, Colin? <laughs> what is up, Colin Samir? Uh, my name is Seth. I go by Sensei Seth on YouTube because of karate and alliteration. I have found a fair amount of success on YouTube over the last couple of years doing martial arts, which is what I've been doing my whole life, and it's probably one of my greatest sources of fun. But in order to get where I have on YouTube, I feel like I've really had to you know, gamify all of my videos, all my content. On a weekly basis, I record, I edit, and then I post. I'm doing really extravagant stuff now, and I'm just not having as much fun as I used to. And I'm even doing things that should be fun. This week I filmed a video called, I trained like a Ninja Turtle for seven days, just because I wanted to have fun doing it. But the whole time I was just thinking about, you know, what's next? How am I gonna edit it? What's the thumbnail gonna look like? I guess my question is, how do I, on the scale of fun to how useful is this for YouTube, how do I kind of bring back the fun in that scale? Because it, I, I'm having a hard time with it right now, and I don't want to, as, which makes sense. Anyway, thanks. Love you guys, the channel. First of all, I just want to address that in the beginning of that, he said, I go by Sensei Seth because of karate and alliteration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> Second of all, I just want to give a trivia fact about me in case we do trivia on our million subscribers. Is this another one on the way? No. Uh, I am a black belt in karate. Okay, now for the question. Okay. I felt so seen in this question uh, because we- How come were, I never seen you do karate? You want to see me do karate? I'm interested. Okay, punch me slow. Okay, my arm on, is now on, coming on. across the table. Okay, yeah, hold on. There's a lot yeah. of stuff. Wait. This is a visual. I just think you can't just this say is you're a, a visual black belt. Trend. Yeah. And okay, then expect slow. me I'll after 10 years of knowing you to not test you on this. just something that if, if you were punching me, <laughs> yeah, go right in okay, there. Okay, we'll post that on yeah. the Reddit. That was out of control. That would have been right to your neck. Yeah. That yeah. Was you wouldn't have liked that if we if these mics weren't in the way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I knew that there you were knew. photos of yeah. you as a young child. No, I'm a black belt. Like dressed up as if you do karate. No, it wasn't a costume contest, man. I'm, you missed that one. I just punched you. You could have been dead. Yeah. First of all, you are. You need to always be ready. No, because you're at a distance that you can't punch me. I just kicked you under the table. Colin just kicked me in the shin. That was, that was messed up. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're not ready, man. <laughs> um, all right. Let's answer Sensei Seth's question and then let's fight. Um, now, Sensei. Seth. This is something that I felt to my core because there's a lot of times where we're recording, but we're actually not that present because we're thinking about the post-production and we're thinking about the thumbnail. We're thinking about the packaging and the most fun recordings that that we have are when we're extremely present. I would say this, this audio exclusive experience that everyone has here, 
This is one of the most unique things because we don't think about thumbnails here. We don't think about packaging. We don't think about post-production. We really don't edit much out of this. So we're, we're, we're very present in this experience and we get to just express. But if this was going on YouTube, I would have anxiety right now. I would. I would be really nervous about how this was going to come together, how people would receive it, what the click-through rate would be, what the AVD, would people click off at this moment? And I think YouTube creates, like, it is a very high-pressured platform when you're trying to make it a career, and it does create an environment that is extremely anxiety-inducing. Like, that's just the reality of the platform. Now, on the flip side, in our interview with Rhett and Link, they talk a bit about creating a scenario where uh, if you get caught up in that stuff, you actually can't put out enough content to, to learn. And they developed a format where they said, there's going to be no cuts. We're going to put it up. And over time they learned about how to package and you know how to do it. Right. But they still, they're still in that world where they're thinking thumbnail first right now. You know, the biggest creators are still in that world. I don't know the answer to this question because we're trying to figure it out. Yeah. I would recommend finding a second channel. You know, a lot of creators, they have a second YouTube channel where there's not as much pressure and they can just have fun and be creative again. And that doesn't always need to be a YouTube channel. Again, like for us, we have this yeah. audio only podcast. It can be a TikTok account that no one knows about. It can be a Patreon. I think that's why Patreon feels uh, appealing to me because it's, it's an environment where people are saying, I find this content valuable, so I pay for it. And you, you on the other side, you're like, I need to make the content good and valuable to you. But it's not, you know, I'm not playing into the platform, the expectations of the platform to deliver the content to you. I get to deliver the content to you directly. And I think even with our newsletter, it's like you've subscribed and you said, I want this in my inbox. And then it goes in your inbox. Like there is a, there is a direct line there between you saying, I would like this content and us delivering the content to you. On YouTube, that's like a zigzag kind of style where just because we have close to a million subscribers does not mean a million people are going to even see the upload that we, we put up. No, 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 absolutely not. So we're still playing into that, that world. And I totally empathize with what he's talking about. He was like, I wanted to go have fun shooting this Ninja Turtle video. And while I'm shooting, I'm stressed about the, the post-production, the packaging, everything. Yeah, it's also just the realities of growing a content business. Once yeah. it becomes a business, you have to do what works. Yeah. You have to think about that stuff. And that, is what, you know, will make it less fun. And you have to find that happy medium. I mean, it's sort of a, if it has become your career, you have the privilege mm -hmm. of trying to figure out how to make it more fun because you know you got into it because it's fun. You know, and a lot of people like, and the reality is like a lot of work is not fun. Creating is very fun. I think distributing is exhausting. And this new world of media, you, you play both roles. And I think that's a really interesting thing. I was listening to Charlemagne the God on uh, Logan, Logan Paul's podcast, and he was talking about shooting a TV show. And I was thinking about the concept that he shows up to the TV show. And of course, he's worried about like the ratings and how it's going to pan out. But really, when he's there in the moment, his job is not to think about how that's going to be distributed or marketed. His job is to be the guy on the TV show. And I think that is something that's very unique that we should all address when it comes to YouTube, that while you're shooting, you're also the person who has to be dealing with the distribution of it. And I find those two things to be different sides of your brain and different levels of stress. Creating is super fun, but when you have to think about distributing it, it gets really stressful. Speaking of distribution, yeah, movies that are distributed on airplanes is something I'd like to get into. I have a gripe. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, were we done with that? I felt like we were done with that. Sure. Okay. 
This is my last gripe. Okay. And then we, yeah, and then we can get out of here. But here's okay. the thing. I was on a flight back from JFK to LA mm-hmm. and I decided to watch everything everywhere all at once. Oh, you watched it on a plane, Colin? I, I, first off, I didn't finish oh, it, oh, which I understand. Oh, I, okay, oh because God. the plane landed. There was nothing I could do. The plane landed. There was nothing I could do. But watching that on a plane uh, is an absurd look. thing. They shouldn't even offer that on okay, a plane. So that's your gripe. My gripe is that there is no privacy to watch what you're watching. And I don't know what I'm getting into with this movie. And at one point... You got hot dog fingers all over I've the place. I've got hot dog yeah. fingers on the screen. One of the characters is wielding sex toys, one in each hand, and, and mm-hmm. like beating someone up, and they're moving mm-hmm. in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's up on the screen. I got kids around me. People are looking, and there's no way that I can shield mm. what's happening on my screen from the people around me. This feels like a good product. Maybe they didn't want to see what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's a good product, you know? Okay. Airplane movie shield. Yeah. Or like one of those, how about those screens where, you know, those people who put those privacy screens on their phones where like at a certain angle, you can't see what it is. Put a privacy screen on. Put a privacy screen on. That's good. This is good solution stuff. All right, good. We need to end this so we can talk about your actions of watching everything everywhere the movie yet. That's insane that you watched it on a plane. I I don't know what to do with that information. Where else is I supposed to watch it? It's not in theaters anymore. Punch me slow. Punch me slow, Colin. Punch me slow. Okay. (laughs) 